You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Today I've got a return guest, Jean-Paul Bourgeois. How's it going, buddy? I'm doing good, Mr. Jennings. How are you doing today? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Duck season is coming to a close, and you know that's always a difficult time. You have to kind of mentally and physically accept that, and that's always a difficult time for me. But um, you know, you've got some cool things in the works, and I wanted to bring Jean-Paul on here to talk about a new program that he's kicking off online called Duck Camp Dinners, but also. I wanted to check in to see how's your duck season been down there in Louisiana. Yeah, man, Chris, you hit it right on the head there. Getting, I can already feel that little bit of duck depression sinking in. But uh, we have our last um, weekend um, this weekend. Well, it would have been last weekend. Our um, we have that um, our closeout of the season, and um, our season in Louisiana has been really, really good. We've been blessed to have tons of birds just holding on our leases here in the Homa um, area of Louisiana. And um, it's a lot of ringnecks and some canvasbacks and widgeons and gray ducks and, of course, blue wing teals. But really, we've had them. Um, we've been blessed to have shoot limits almost every time we go out, no matter how many people we bring. I mean, the ringneck population is thick, thick in that grassy fresh water. And, um, but I've also been hunting in Texas and Mississippi and Arkansas, Oklahoma, Alabama, and just as of recently Mexico. And I've been, uh, really, again, blessed just about to travel around this season and hunt those different areas with different lodges and outfits and friends around the country. It's been super, uh, my first time really being able to do that this year. So on a local level, our season's been great. On a regional, uh, central, and Mississippi flyway level in the south, it's been great as well to get out of Louisiana and just hunt a little bit more with friends. No, that's cool, man. That's, I'll tell you what, you may be kind of the exception there. You know, I know a lot of guys in Louisiana have had uh, some slower seasons. I know some of the guys on the southeast side were a little slower than, than normally. But, uh, man, I think, think you're just super fortunate to, to be in an area that's holding a bunch of ducks. I think that's the key. So uh, congrats on that. I mean, and I'm sure in conjunction to that, you're probably, uh, you know, creating some cool content for duck camp dinners and, uh, and probably making some pretty cool recipes. Uh, we talked offline briefly just about some of the recipes that, that you got, that you're kind of testing out and some different things, but, you know, let's get into the duck camp dinners and, mm -hmm. you know, let people know what to expect. You know, it's a, it's a multi episode series where, you know, I guess I'll let you kind of explain exactly what duck camp dinners is. Right. So first episode just dropped this Sunday at eight Eastern and it's called uh, Land um, Land Meets Bayou. And it's basically uh, our first episode and there'll be five other episodes following that every Sunday at eight Eastern. And for those listening, 
I get this question a lot. It's going to be on my IGTV at Chef Jean underscore Paul. It's going to be under Split Reads IGTV, Mossy Oak IGTV, Mossy Oak Go app, Mossy Oak YouTube. Really, if you just Google Duck Camp Dinners, Jean-Paul Bourgeois, you'll, it'll probably pop up um, with that first episode. And so we're really pumped about it. And it is the life cycle of the duck camp through the food we eat and the people we share it with. And I, I've always thought that duck camp that we hunt at um, in, in Louisiana, it's just a super special place. It's, you have to get to it by boat. You're on a, pon- a floating pontoon um, camp for however many days you want to be there. You never really set foot back on land. So it's just a really special place. And you take the mud boats out and I put five, 10 minute uh, rides to the certain hunting ponds and so on. Uh, and I've, I just wanted desperately just wanted to tell that story and trying to give that to the world. And I think there, I think there are a lot of other places in the country like that. And, um, and the other hope is that as it progresses in the next five or six episodes, and I mentioned that duck depression that I, that I get a little bit towards Mm -hmm. the end of the season, this just gives duck hunters a little bit longer to kind of be in the moment and watch and, and, and and watch duck camp dinners and say, man, I, I, we have a place like that. Or I remember hunting in a place like that when I was a kid, man, this season was great. And just to reminisce a little bit. Um, but it was really fun getting to film that and cooking with all my friends and just being able to tell the story of that specific duck camp, uh, has been phenomenal. And so, um, we're really excited about the first episode and how it's been received thus far. Um, I think people are really digging. In fact, I know they are there. I'm constantly getting messages on it. So I encourage everybody to go check out that first episode, either on my IGTV or the Mossy Oak Go app or different YouTube channels. And then stay tuned for every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're going to drop the next episode. You got five more to come. Man, that's very cool. Now, now with the first one being at your kind of friends duck camp there in Louisiana, kind of foreshadow for us what the, uh, uh, what the other episodes are and, and, you know, maybe some of the different areas that people will be familiar with. So they're all going to be, they're all filmed at that duck camp in, Mm -hmm. in South Louisiana. Okay, cool. And then the way we've structured the episodes was that the first episode is an introduction to my family, where I'm from, how I grocery shop, how we prepare for five days on a floating duck camp with no access to dry land, more grocery stores and so on. And then we, in about midway through that episode, we go on, you know, we launch boats and we do some of those things that you need to do to prepare for hunting the next day. Uh, we gather at the camp, we cook a meal, we share, we share that meal. And it's just, it's just fun and entertaining. It's not quite a hunting show, not quite a cooking show. It's really a story of that camp. And as the episodes progress, we, we hunt in different leases and different ponds and different blinds. We have good hunts. We have bad hunts. We have great shooting and a lot of times we have bad shooting too, but there's always a great meal uh, tied into that episode and there'll be recipes associated with each episode written out in detail and that you can find on uh, splitread.com's recipe forums, who's been a great partner for mine in producing the show, really making it come to life and not just making it come to life, but doing it in a way that feels really professional, but authentic. And that was really important to me that we stayed authentic but it was something that somebody could it's the first episode's 20 minutes long but it goes by in a snap because it just feels real and you want to just see what's next and hopefully as we go about two three four five and six episodes um you as a viewer 
can just stay on that journey with us. It's the last five days of the first split that we filmed this. And so we really went all out in terms of hunting hard, dressing blinds, cooking, having a good time because the ducks can rest for those two or three weeks in between that first and second split. Yeah, that's cool. Now I know I'm just sitting here thinking you were mentioning going grocery shopping and I know that would be, uh, for me, that would be kind of cool just to kind of see how you grocery shop before doing, going to duck camp, knowing that you're going to be preparing these, uh, fantastic, probably, you know, much more in depth meals than I would. And, and when I go grocery shopping, me and the guys I hunt with and we go grocery shopping, uh, we don't, we have the luxury of being able to drive down the road to a dollar general to pick up all the things that we forget multiple times. Because, uh, mm-hmm. I know if mm-hmm. I had to boat in, I'd be, uh, I'd be pretty busy running that boat back and forth the land <laughs> trying to get the right stuff. So, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I, I kind of look, I look forward to seeing that and seeing how you prepare. And, um, uh, you know, you mentioned these specific recipes. Is there any, you know, any recipe you kind of, uh, you kind of previewed a little bit last time you were on the show about a coot gumbo. And I know, uh, that mm-hmm, kind of got mm-hmm. my attention. Is that something that you highlighted in these episodes or is that something you're kind of holding back? You don't want to share all that. No, no, I'm, I'm happy to share. And yes, it is. And my dad does a good job in the first episode of really kind of setting up the coot or what we call a pool dough or pool do uh, mm-hmm. in Cajun French. That means water chickens and really setting up that species to be highlighted and foreshadowed in into uh, into the next uh, two or three, four episodes. And, yeah, we do make a pool do or coot gumbo with andouille sausage that's from a local meat market, which you see us go. Um, really buy that at a local at a local place here in my hometown. And, um, you know, I, I've hunted literally in Mexico. They have they're full of coots in Oklahoma. They have some coots. And I'm having this conversation with everybody around the country and they just cannot believe that we pool do our coot. And, <laughs> you know, they're feeding on the same woods and grasses that all these ducks that we are hunting feeding are that are feeding on. So I don't know what they're feeding on elsewhere. But in Louisiana, they are really tasty little birds um, and they're really prized for their gizzards as well. And so you definitely we definitely highlight a, a poodoo gumbo in one of the recipes. We go out on a little poodoo shoot specifically for them to make that gumbo. Um, and a lot of the rest, you know, half the recipes that we do on the show, we've bought from a local grocery store, a lo- local butcher shop and brought that in through coolers. And the other half. We're out catching catfish and we're going to, you know, we create some dishes with that. We're out shooting pool dew, creating a dish without shooting duck, shooting a create, creating dishes with that. Some of the other venison sausages and different things that we bring in from other hunting seasons, they come into the fold as well through those recipes and episodes. And I, you know, this was this not a scripted show. This is how we actually I mean, this everything that we do on the show is a is darn near 100 percent authentic representation of what we do every weekend and what I'll be doing, uh, what I did on the, um, on the closing weekend. And so that doesn't change, which is what makes that show even more special is that it's a unscripted thing. It's just a real true portrayal of our duck season and how we approach going to the camp and living that, living that life as duck hunters in Louisiana. No, that's awesome. And that's, that's exciting. I know the, you know, the, the pool do or coot, um, gets a, uh, gets a bad rap 
And, but I do, I also, I know some guys who, who do eat them and, uh, you know, they, they kind of look for them when, when the opportunity presents itself. And, and, you know, so are you, are you making gumbo with the coot? Um, anything else that you, you know, do you guys plucking those? Let me ask that. Are you guys plucking them whole or are you breasting them out or how, how do you process those? Yeah, we're breasting them out. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but for some reason, this works on pool do. I'm sure some of your biologists can speak to this a little better. But um, basically, uh, an easy way that we've done this is um, if you step on the wings of the pool do, like on the, you put them on the ground, you step on the wings of the pool do, and you pull up on its feet, um, the the breast almost plucks itself and it's, and it's left on, um, the crown, the breastplate, um, by itself. And that, I can't remember what side it attaches to the foot side or the wing side. And then from there, you can just carve out the pool do, uh, breast from there. So for some reason that bird cleans a little differently from every other piece of waterfowl, um, by stepping on its wings and pulling up on the legs and it just cleanly takes out that breastplate. Uh, we actually, I like actually leaving, you know, the, the wing bone is kind of left on there. So you need to take some shears and trim that off. But for the most part, you left with a clean breastplate with two attached breasts on that plate. And then I put, I just kind of rinse them off and I put them straight into that gumbo. You can brown them first and, or you can put in straight into the gumbo broth and just let them cook and get tender. And when they start pulling away from that breastplate bone, that gumbo is done and you can just eat it like that. Of course, you can remove the breast from that breastplate if you want it to be completely boneless. But something about those bones in there just adds some richness to that broth that I really like. Yeah, that's cool. I was going to say you're throwing the, the whole bone, the whole breastplate in there. Uh, that, that's pretty standard with like a traditional uh, wild game gumbo. And you'd probably do the same exact thing if you've got regular ducks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you know, my dad doesn't particularly like picking through bones in a gumbo. So if I'm making something for him, I'll, I'll do that. In fact, right now I just made a speckle belly and ham bone broth last night to make a speckle belly and andouille gumbo for my folks this, this, um, this evening. And so, but with that, I just put the whole plucked speckle belly in broth with onion, celery, carrots, bay leaves, peppercorns, I had a ham bone left over um, that I had frozen from Christmas that I put in there just to add some extra richness and smokiness to the broth. And then I'll cook that speckle belly till it falls off the bone. I'll reserve all that liquid for my gumbo and I'll reserve that meat from the speckle belly to fold into my gumbo in the later stages of making that. So, um, you know, again, if you've had big geese and I would say the same for snow geese or lessers. Um, I don't know about honkers. You probably need to, you know, do treat them a little differently. But for geese, you want to better pull that off the bone. It'd be a little much to have all those breastplates in there. So yeah. but for ducks, you're right, especially for ringnecks like we shoot or teal ducks. Uh, keeping that meat on the breastplate gives lets that meat have a little more integrity, gives that meat a little more integrity, I should say, as it as through the cooking process. So it doesn't just fall apart and get spring, uh, stringy. You know, one of the biggest uh, pieces of advice that I give to uh, outdoorsmen and waterfowlers or any person cooking wild game is that you really want to cook that game for the most part. This is I would say this is accurate for 90 percent of your of your cuts. Um, you really want to cook that game to it's even medium rare medium 
to where it's still succulent and juicy and has that rosiness uh, within the meat, or you want to cook it till it's fallen off a bone and fallen apart, like in a chili or a gumbo. Anything in between is tough and could get gamey and dry. But on those two opposite ends of the spectrum, mid-rare, medium, or falling off the bone, that is, in my opinion, the best places to find very well-cooked waterfowl and wild game in general. And do you get into the details of that, like in the in these episodes of Duck Camp Dinners? Um, you know, are you are you walking through the exact details of what you're cooking, um, even in a very you know non formal, a very informal approach to this? Sounds like at Duck Camp, are you kind of walking people through these recipes as you're doing them? Yes, sir. I mean, for the most part, I walk through them. It's not like you would be on a cooking show where I'm like, uh, I have two cups of onion, a cup of um, a cup of stock, and so on. Um, because we know we're going to put the detailed recipe in print throughout different mediums after the episode that you can connect with. But yes, for the most part, I'm walking through the recipe, not with so much quantities or times, but with ingredients and how I stage them to create my ideal kind of meal in that. And like I said, um, it's, if, if we would have made it into that type of cooking show, it would be all cooking. And it was just really important for me the food and the drink and the and the lifestyle of the duck came is such an important part of it, but it's not the only thing we do. Like I said, it's cutting brush, it's it's cleaning birds, it's juggling for catfish, it's scouting uh, ponds for the next morning. All that happens in this show, and so we want to leave room for that authentic kind of life cycle of how we treat the duck camp, but. You'll get a good idea through the recipes of how to stage them, what you need for them. And then you can go into detail and print through the split read uh, recipe site. How many guys are you cooking for in camp for this? With the film crew, which is two video guys and a photo guy, it kind of came out to be anywhere from eight to 10 people. Some people could stay the whole time. Some people couldn't. So you'll see some faces in and out of those episodes. Uh, but I would say anywhere between eight and 10 people. I bet that, that's just like uh, like heaven for someone like yourself who likes to cook and hang out with people. You just basically spend, uh, you know, five days cooking for large groups of people and, and probably cutting up and having a good time. I'm sure that was uh, really enjoyable. Yeah. You know, look, you mentioned about the grocery store and going to Dollar General down the road, being on being on land. But at that duck camp, you know, we're using treated rainwater um, to take showers, to run the toilet, to wash dishes. And so, um, and I say all that because it's treated with chlorine, it's filtered, but we don't, it's not, we don't use it to cook with. And so just being mindful of that when we're making gumbos or if you're making stocks or anything, you're brushing your teeth, you're using a bottle of water or, um, and you're making gumbos, you're using jugs of water to do that. And so being at a floating camp, like we are, um, it's not only just the groceries, but it's also your amenities of, of fresh water, uh, electricity. We use, we use a generator to run the camp. And so if you were going back and forth to pick up groceries or whatever in a boat, you're burning fuel that you need for the generator. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a bunch of dynamics that, uh, maybe some people wouldn't kind of think about having land-based camps that we have to think about being... You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. 
Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Having a water-based duck camp. I've seen some of your images that you posted on uh, Instagram, some of the kind of preview stuff that uh, you've done for duck camp dinners and some of your personal stuff where you've kind of shown what this camp looks like. And, and it looks like a really cool place and totally outside the realm of what I'd say maybe someone from the Midwest or someone, you know, mm-hmm. would, would even imagine at a duck camp, like you said, the, the, uh, the logistics of it sounds like a real nightmare, especially for me who, who constantly forgets everything. <laughs> I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to bring extra gas cause I'd be running the boat back and forth all the time. Yeah. Well, you certainly, you certainly can take things for granted being on land, but uh, you know, I, I've done that too, even, you know, and that's the thing. Like when you're at that duck camp and you forget something, you got to pivot and things don't go your way or somebody forgets to bring a certain ingredient, like the, you, you just make those adjustments. And uh, I would say that's about for any camp. Um, but uh, one thing's for sure. Once you get good at packing out for this type of camp, you can, you're, you're pretty efficient uh, at packing out for others. That's, that's a hundred percent. Oh, I guarantee it. So I, I have to ask, so what did you do with the catfish? What was the approach there? Man, um, the, the catfish, um, we were going to cook at the camp and, um, we just, I had so many things I wanted to cook and I had so many things I did cook. We ended up, uh, bringing the catfish back to my parents' house to close out, um, close out the episode in a way that brings everything full circle. And I don't want to tell too many people too much mm-hmm. about what, what that was, but I did a baked catfish dish. Um, and I didn't fry it. And one of the reasons why, uh, I did it baked because, um, there's a really cool, and I'll, I'll just, I'll share this. And I, we learned this from a fisherman. Um, we learned this from a fisherman out on the docks, not, not during duck camp dinners, but after, and it makes complete sense because all the times I've been offshore fishing, the guys do the same thing. And with these big catfish, especially that we catch, uh, you, you're talking like two and a half to three foot long catfish. I don't know how much they weigh, but fatties. Mm-hmm. fatties. You make some slush ice water with but with bayou water and a bunch of ice. And then you cut the tail of the catfish down close to the bone and it bleeds out. And it hmm. just removes all of that kind of what it removes a lot of that stuff that some people don't like about catfish, that muddiness, that fishiness. It removes all of that. And it made complete sense because when when I'm, you know, we're we're fishing for Kobe or, or yellow fins or so on, they're cutting the gills and putting it in slushy salt water to do the same thing to bleed it. And uh, when you do that with catfish, I think it completely gives it. I mean, it's like it's like a, it's like an awakening on, on catfish. And so you can do things like bake it and do subtle treatments to catfish uh, instead of like marinate or deep frying it where that can tend to like cover up things. And look, you deep fry this type of catfish when you, when you treat it like this, when you bleed it, it's, it's like a brand new world to people who've been eating it. And so uh, for those who are listening and don't want to wait till episode four or five, when, when we kind of go through that and you're catching catfish this weekend, go ahead and cut that tail, throw it in some water and some ice water and let that catfish bleed out. And you'll be really happy with the results. No, that's, that's fantastic. Now, you know, I'm curious as to, and you may not be able to answer this, but I'm curious with a catfish, why you cut the tail and not 
bleed it out through like the gills like you would do with, um, you know, last time I was down in Louisiana a couple months back, you know, we were catching some redfish and the guy that I was with, he was bleeding mm-hmm. the redfish yep. out as well. Um, yep. And, but he yeah, was, you I, know, he's doing around the gills, you know? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure the answer to that. Uh, obviously I know catfish have gills, but, um, but you know, catfish can spend a lot of lifetime out of water. Um, you know, they're very resilient fish. They have that ability to, if they're not in the water to still survive for minutes on end out of the water. And maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. This fisherman, I'm talking like commercial, freshwater, lifelong fisherman. Yeah. Um, he had the, he told us to do that, and I, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna say you know what you should try the gills. That's probably gonna be better. <laughs> I'm gonna let him let him tell me what to do, and it, it just worked out. And so um, you know, as long as you have a sturdy enough knife to really get through that flesh, through that meat, and get into that kind of spinal column of that fish, uh, I mean, it it worked. It worked great. And that fish was just pearly white, clean, almost barely any bloodline to speak of within it. Very cool. And I, I agree with you. I would I would certainly take the uh, the lifelong <laughs> waterman's word uh, over just about anybody, especially when you're down there standing on the dock. His uh, his word is is gold. I'm, I, I could imagine. That's right. In all your travels this season, did you uh, come across any cool recipes that, you know, you may want to share with us or anything that you did? Um, that, that just sounds like, you know, kind of just bringing the cooking all around, you know, did you experience any kind of cool cooking or or any new recipes that you tried with some wild game? You know, I was just came back from Mexico at, uh, La Hacienda Las Palmas and Tamaulipas state, um, over there. Uh, and then we had a really good hunts and a beautiful lodge over there. Um, if you're, I, I was my first time in Mexico ever period. And so getting to hunt there, we hunted a lot of the same birds because it's in that same kind of, I, I would guess, Mississippi flyway birds are kind of maybe borders on central flyway and so on. Tons of beautiful bull widgeons, bull canvasbacks, pintails, uh, cinnamon teals, which I was specifically out for. But um, the chef there uh, was making some wild game stuff. And so we kind of traded secrets. And one of the most interesting uh, things that uh, I ate while I was there was duck carnitas and which is basically braised slow cooked duck breast that's then shredded and then, um, fried crispy in a pan and then ate with tacos. Mm. And, uh, that was just really phenomenal because you get that soft interior of like these braised duck breasts. Then you get the crispy edges of how that, how that breast kind of caramelizes and duck fat, or, or in this case, it was lard that he was kind of fr- shallow frying it all in. Man, you put that with tacos and some pickled red onions and a little salsa. And I don't, you know, at this point, that's going to be delicious in a tortilla. You want to buy canned salsa. You want to make your own. Be my guest guy was making his own like charred little red salsas and green salsas. And uh, obviously the way they approach um, waterfowl in that lodge in northern Mexico is through the lens of northern Mexican cuisine. And I just thought it was so good and so fascinating and just loved being a part of that lodge and that and that cooking experience. I'm definitely taking that to every camp I go to, um, you know, having that type of preparation and waterfowl. That's something that, you know, people can kind of take a look at and 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 really how 
different regions influence, you know, cooking. I know that's something that you kind of, you, we've touched on in earlier episodes of the podcast with us is how, you know, different uh, influences on your cooking and, and just continuing to add those, I think is, is really interesting for people. And I, I hope our listeners can kind of appreciate that, um, you know, doing something so outside the box, you're thinking of duck carnitas. Like I would have never even imagined that, but, but it certainly sounds like something that, uh, that I would like <laughs> just as you're, as you're describing, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I like all of those things, put them all together, you know, whatever. And even like, even look at it in like a fajita, right. So like you didn't have, I, and I was even thinking about this while I was eating it. Like you could cook that breast till it was nice and soft and you can shred it and do the same fried thing, add onions and peppers to it. And you have this like kind of very fajita flavor with a little fajita seasoning on there. And those type of things, like, I don't know anybody that doesn't like fajitas. It's one of my favorite dishes. Um, fajitas are in like my top five favorite dishes of all time. Um, and that's not even really a Mexican, that's kind of an American Mexican thing. They do similar things there in Northern Mexico and they love flour tortillas. That's very, that's much more, um, um, prominent, if you will, um, in, um, in Northern Mexico's flour tortillas than corn. And so, I don't know, I was thinking about those things. And I was like, just translating some of your favorite foods and, and subbing, subbing them out with waterfowl. And you're like, oh, wow, like you can do that. I can do this. You know, how many times have you made fajitas with skirt steak or flank steak or chicken breast at your house? And like, oh, well, I got all these duck breasts in my freezer. How can I make fajitas out of that? Well, that's one way. Cook it till it's soft. Give it a little light shred. Fried in some lard, add some onions and peppers, and there you go. It's a pretty darn good meal. I forgot to ask you about your dad's vintage DU hats. I've got to know, like, how many total did you end up with? You know, I've, I'm I'm doing this for my dad uh, because he's he's ready to get rid of some things. He's getting a little bit older, and uh, we're going through his closet. And I was thinking, like, yeah, he's got about a hundred of them. But what I didn't expect is there to be like five deep of each one. And so we ended up with 300 total hats, 170 Ducks Unlimited hats alone, anywhere from 30 to 40 years old for some going into about, I think probably the, the youngest one, if, if I would put it that way, is probably 10 years old. But some of the hats go with all, all these old school, whether it's mossy oak or real tree patterns or old school patterns going back, dating back 30 to 40 years, some of them. And he's just, he was big in DU for, for that long. And every time he did went to any one of these, you know, sponsorship events or committee things or different things around the country, where that'd be Canada, central flyaways, Easterns, and so on. He would collect these DU hats. And I uh, was able to go through them. I got my pick of the litter, but he has <laughs> 170 of them. They're going to end up going to a site called camo retro where they're going to go on sale and hopefully have a new life that other people can enjoy them and uh, wear them and sport them because they got some cool ones in there. And I'm excited to um, just kind of see them alive again and give them a second chance at, you know, at being worn. Yeah, no, that's cool. And, and, you know, just to give our listeners a little, little reference there, you know, Jean-Paul had texted me like, Hey man, I've got all these hats, you know, is this something that, you know, do you might be interested in? And, and I think our, our museum curator, uh, maybe getting back to you at some point yeah. here, but, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, uh, when he sent me the picture, I noticed one in the far back and it was like the original super black Eagle Benelli hat, but it was uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, high top, um, big brimmed hat that, uh, and I was like, Hey man, I see that super black Eagle hat in the back. That's cool. And you're immediately like, no dude, that's my private stash. <laughs> like, it's like, Oh, he got the good one. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm sure you, uh, you're, yeah. you're going to have some cool hats to sport, you know, for, for many mm-hmm. years to come. That's, that's pretty awesome story. It was kind of taking a look back in time and, and reminiscing of all those times where I was 10, 11, 12 years old, going to those DU banquets here in Tibble, Louisiana, seeing all those guys wear all the hats and having their pins on their hats and um, and all these things. And I mean, those are just like the just the best memories that I have of duck hunting and being around waterfowlers weren't even at a, in a blind or or at a camp. It was at those DU banquets. And um you know, just going through those hats kind of brought back all those memories. It was really fun. That's awesome. And that's one thing, you know, not only does Ducks Unlimited, the leader in wetlands conservation, we also give out quite a few hats. <laughs> Y'all are really good at that. Y'all are really good at conservation and hat productions. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, before we let you go, I just want to give you an opportunity to kind of run down. Um, I know you did it at the intro, but, you know, kind of give people an opportunity to uh to figure out where they can find duck camp dinners once again i first of all i just want to thank my partners at split read and split read media house for making this a reality it's kind of been a working dream of mine for about 18 months so thank you all for that you can find all episodes of duck camp dinners uh starting this week with episode uh or last week with episode one and going into the next five at split reads igtv at Jean Paul or Chef Jean underscore Paul IGTV, Mossy Oak Go app, Mossy Oak YouTube, Spiceology, who who has have been wonderful partners in creating my spice blends. We're sponsors of this series. You can spot, find that uh, all episodes on IGTV with Spiceology and on their YouTube. And uh, and just one last thank you to Yeti for being uh, just so gracious with uh, their their stuff and their sponsorship for making this happen. It's been awesome. My IGTV, Mossy Oak YouTube, Split Read, Split Read YouTube, Spiceology. You can find all episodes there in the coming weeks. Well, Jean-Paul, this has been great. Uh, great conversation. Cool introduction to Duck Camp Dinners. Um, I appreciate you coming on and, and kind of previewing these upcoming episodes for our audience to kind of stay in touch with you and what you're doing. Um, it's It's been fantastic. and I'm, I'm glad you're able to come on. Chris, as always, thank you, and I appreciate you having me on the show. Much love to Ducks Unlimited and everybody listening uh, today. Y'all stay tuned for Duck Camp Dinners. I'd like to thank my guest, Jean-Paul Bourgeois, for joining us today and, and bringing to light you know, Duck Camp Dinners, a new program that he's kicking off online. Um, I'd like to thank our producer, Clay Baird, for putting the podcast together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us and supporting Wetlands Conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. 
Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.